The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to entitle my message today, In the World, Not of the World. And it's very important that we know the difference between the word in and of. In the world, not of the world. Now, let me give you a couple of scriptures that plainly teach what I'm trying to talk about. First of all, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 40, uh, you'll remember that when multitudes had been baptized, that after they were baptized, it says, with many other words, did Peter testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now notice it says there that he used many other words. In other words, he preached in detail, but the, the, the substance of what he was teaching in many words was that we need to save ourselves from this untoward generation. Now, the word untoward can mean uh, crooked or perverse. You know, Paul used the word perverse when he was writing to the churches of Galatia with regard to those that had changed the gospel. And he said, this is another gospel, but it's not really another, but there's some that would pervert. That means twist or change the gospel of Christ. And we still use that word today to describe things that are twisted or not as they should be. We see today a lot of sexual perversion. That is, things that are totally contrary to the way the Lord established it. So there are many ways that we must save ourselves from this untoward generation. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul puts it this way. He says, be not conformed to this world. That means don't take on the image of this world, but be transformed, that is be changed or be different, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And to renew your mind is to constantly put God's truth in your mind. Because the world's going to be constantly putting other things in your mind. So before we continue with this, I want to use an illustration which I think will really help us see and understand what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. You know, sometimes we think of the church as a ship traveling on rough seas. And we think of that as God's people going through tribulation. Now I want you to think of it this way. Think of the ship as the church. And think of the water. We'll refer to the sea in particular. Think of the water or the sea as the world. And you know the thing about it is a ship like the church 
serves no purpose outside of the sea. You know, when they build large ships today, uh, they build them on dry land, and then they eventually launch the ship, but it serves no purpose, really, or not the purpose it's intended for until it's put in the water. You know, in Noah's day, I'm sure people thought he was insane building this huge boat on dry land. That boat did not fulfill its, its purpose at all until the flood came. So I want you to think about the Titanic. All of you know about the Titanic, which sank in 1912. Now, there were some things about it that maybe you don't understand, or, or rather things that you haven't heard, and I want you to consider that just for a minute. First of all, the Titanic, I believe, if it wasn't the largest, it was one of the largest ships at that time, and it was described as being unsinkable. Now, that's not a good way to start, is it? And notice in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10 and verse 12, we see a, a spiritual application of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse uh, 12 says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So to go on your uh, maiden voyage with the idea that this is an unsinkable ship, is not a very good uh, way to start. And if we ever get to the mindset that this church is going to be here, it's always going to be here, We're not, it's not going to be destroyed, we're always going to have a good, strong church, we don't need to be presumptuous in that way. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now, when that ship was traveling on the ocean, it was very calm. You know, I believe it's Zephaniah 3.12 says, Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. It was a calm sea. Nobody was nervous. But they had received some warnings of icebergs. But they ignored the warnings. Now you see how this parallels in a spiritual sense the Lord's church? You know, there's several places in the Bible where it speaks of the Lord's ministers being as watchmen on the wall. And the, the watchman's job is to tell the people when trouble is coming. Well, they were warned that there are icebergs ahead, but they ignored the warning. Another thing is the, what they call the crow's nest, where they would go and be able to look ahead and see what's coming, was supposed to be equipped with binoculars, but it wasn't. And so they couldn't see as far as they needed to see. I'm sure they wouldn't have struck that iceberg if they had been equipped with binoculars. They would have saw it, within time to avoid the collision. And you know, Peter talks about how that uh, we need to be able to see far ahead. In 2 Peter chapter 1, 
in uh, verse 9, he's speaking of those that fail to grow spiritually. And he says in verse 9, He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So think of that. The word blind here seems to mean nearsighted because he says uh, he is blind and cannot see afar off. Well, if you're just totally blind, you can't see at all. But here's someone that seems to be extremely nearsighted. I'm so nearsighted that when I go to the eye doctor, if I don't have my contacts in, I can't even read that large E at the top. I can't read it. And if you're nearsighted spiritually and you don't see what's ahead, you could have a collision just like they did. Now let's talk a little bit about that water. That's what I really want to, to illustrate. The ship represents the church. The water represents the world. And the ship's purpose is to be in the water. The church is in this world. But you don't want the water to get in the ship. We don't want the world to get in the church. Now that ship below deck had 16 separate compartments. And the idea was, if there was uh, a problem, they could, they could seal off each compartment from the other to prevent the ship from sinking. And as many as four of those 16 compartments could, could completely fill with water and the ship would still float. It would be uh, very disabled compared to how it would be without the water, but it could still function. And in like manner, the church can take on some of the world. We don't want to do that. They, don't, they didn't want any water in any of those compartments. That was the objective. But in the same way that that ship could take on some water and not sink, the church always has some degree of the world in it. Each of us always has some degree of the world in our thinking. And we bring it together here when we meet. We will not be free of worldliness until we're free of the old man and free of the flesh, and that won't happen until we're with the Lord in heaven. But there's one simple reason why the Titanic sank. It's not because it hit the iceberg. That didn't cause it to sink. It sank because of too much water. See, it reached a point when more than four of those compartments filled with water, it was set then to sink and you know the church 
can get to the point that the world has more influence than the church can bear. You see, the water had more influence on the ship than the ship could bear. It was certain to sink at that point. We don't ever want to get to that point. Now I, go, I know that you can't parallel everything here. I know the Lord can intervene whenever He wants to, however He wants to. But I'm talking about general principles. If too much of the world influences the church, and you can certainly see that in the religious world, can't you? When all types of perversion are accepted in the church, even with those that are supposedly the leaders in the church, when you reach that point, the church is going to sink. They may still be meeting. They may still have a membership. But as far as being a church, they have sunk. They're no longer serving the purpose for which they're intended. Now, when that water, when, that, when the Titanic first began to take on water, most people didn't know about it. And it took about two hours and 40 minutes before it truly was engulfed by the sea. In other words, there were still places on the ship that weren't underwater for about two hours and 40 minutes from the time it struck the iceberg. In other words, it was a very slow thing. That's how the world seeps in the church. You may not notice it first. It uh, comes in slow, but the more, the more that it comes in, the more noticed it is. But once the ship completely went under the water, it only took it five minutes to sink over two miles. Think about all these parallels. Once the church is engulfed by the world, they begin to sink very fast. Today, you could travel right over the spot where the Titanic is and not even know it's there. It took them 75 years to find it. And they were looking for it. They didn't just accidentally come upon it. And it reminds me of what uh, we read in 2 Kings chapter 22. Notice this, 2 Kings chapter 22 and verse Eight. And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered delivered me a book. Wow, look what we've discovered. We, it's been lost. 
delivered me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikim, the son of Shaphan, and I won't read all these names, but then it, notice in verse 13, Go ye, inquire the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto all which is written concerning us. Wow, we found the book. They became very interested in the book. When they found the Titanic, people became very interested in it. I one time went to a, uh, it was a museum, but they moved it from place to place. Uh, it was a museum and it came to Tampa, Florida. It was a museum about the Titanic. And I remember thinking some of these things that people were paying to see were old rusty pieces of metal. You know, if it wasn't the Titanic, nobody would even pay any attention to it. But because they knew what it was and where it came from and how great the loss was, they valued it. So you see, sometimes things that are really the most valuable are the things we've lost. And they had lost the book of the law. And when they found it, it got their attention. Now let's look at some, some scriptures that address what we're talking about. How can we make sure that the world doesn't get in the church, that the water doesn't get in the boat? Well, it's all about you as an individual member. Amen. It's not a matter of us as a body being equally at the same time overtaken by the world, it's, it's individuals and then their influence on others, whether they intend to or not. If I'm thinking worldly, that's going to that's gonna be uh, prone to influence you, whether I'm necessarily trying to do it or not. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 9, and just be thinking about that title, in the world, but not of the world. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. Now what's Paul saying here? He says, I'm not telling you to isolate yourself. The church is not designed to be isolated. The Lord does not want us to buy a large piece of land and build a 
tall wall around it and all of us live there and have no communication or contact with the world. That's not the way the Lord wants it to be. The Lord wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. We can't influence if we're isolated. But if we're in the world and, and we're uh, insulated, think of that. We're to be not isolated, but insulated. If we're in the world and insulated, then we can serve our purpose in the world. But notice what Paul says. He says, verse 10, yet not all together. In other words, I'm not telling you to never be around people that are fornicators or people that are extortioners or covetous or idolaters. I'm not telling you to make sure you never speak to or are around anybody that's guilty of these things. He says the only way you could do that would be to leave the world. That's the only way you can do that. Whether it's our job or, or, or many other circumstances, we're going to be with people that we may not normally want to associate with. But he says in verse 11, but now I have written unto you not to keep company, listen to this, if any man that is called a brother, and notice he refers to basically the same sins. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. Now what he's saying there is, this doesn't need to be part of the church environment. Because if, the if you associate, if, there, if the church is a body of people, just like the people you have to be around out there in the world, it serves no purpose. He says, I'm telling you not to company. Don't let it be this way in the church. And Paul even says down in verse 12, For what, I, what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. Oh, people like to say, don't judge. Well, Paul commands us to judge. Oh, people, well, Jesus said, judge not, that you be not judged. That's not what that teaches at all. And we don't, but you go read that carefully. That's not what it teaches at all. But I just want to look at this today. He says, you judge them that are within. See, as a member of the church, you're no longer an island unto yourself. If you want to live any way you want to live, please do not join the church. It will be far better for you and the church. And you understand I'm not, I'm not speaking to you all here today personally. I'm making a general statement. If there's someone that has that attitude, it would be better for them and the church for them not to join. Paul says, what have I to do to judge them also that are without? To use a legal word, we don't have jurisdiction over the world. If I go up to someone in, out there in the world and say, if you don't quit living this way, the church is going to have to deal with you, they'll probably just laugh, won't they? They're not accountable to the church. 
Paul is saying, if any man that is called a brother be guilty of these things, but he goes on to say, do not ye judge them that are within. But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. A child of God can become, by behavior, a wicked person. That's why in Isaiah 55, about verse 8, it says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. You can't return somewhere that you have not previously been. But that shows that any of us can become a wicked person in the sense Paul is talking about. Now look at the next chapter. Chapter 6 and verse 9. We need this understanding lest we be high-minded with regard to the spirituality of the church. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Notice again, he lists basically the same sins. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. We're not the people that have been untouched by the world. We're not Pharisees. The word Pharisees means the separated ones. We're the ones that at one time were no different from those that we need to be watchful about. He says, he says uh, these shall not inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But what made the difference? Did you reform yourself? No, he says you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. It's not a matter that you have arrived. It's not a matter that you've now got your act together and you're so much better than everyone else out there in the world. No, Paul says the reason you're different is because uh, you have been uh, you have been you have been washed, sanctified, and justified. Washed means you've been cleansed. Sanctified means you're now set apart. And justified means that now things are right between you and God. How did things get right between you and God? It wasn't anything you did. It was because he washed you. Uh, the Bible talks about the washing of regeneration. And he set you apart. And we need to behave accordingly. Now look at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Now let me review or restate some of the main points that you need to have in mind as we look at this. The ship represents the church. The water or the sea represents the world. The water has no place in the ship. The world has no place in the church. 
if you get just a little bit of water, you can deal with that. But eventually there can be so much water, so much worldliness in the church that it's prone to sink. And once it sinks, people won't even notice that it's anything different than the world. And we all know of religious organizations that function that way, that set themselves up based on what the people in the community want to have. So we've been talking about the danger of the world being in the church. But we also notice that Paul said, if you're going to completely isolate yourself from people that are not living godly, then you're just going to have to leave the world. Here in Matthew 13, there's a parable that is unlike most of the other parables in that it's not speaking of just life in the kingdom of God. It's speaking of the, the kingdom of God, that is God's people in general, out in the world. We're going to look at this parable of the tares and the wheat. In other words, there are a lot of parables that talk about uh, life within the body of baptized believers and the problems that are encountered there. There are a lot of parables that talk about that and how we should value the kingdom of God and how we should live in it. But this parable about the tares and the wheat is talking about our life as children of God out there in the world with those that we do have to associate with from time to time. And notice how the Lord addresses that. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up, and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles, and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now this is an, an agricultural lesson that they could understand. The main thing being that an enemy sowed tares among the wheat, and when they suggested going and separating the tares from the wheat, they were told, no, you may pull the wheat up with the tares. So you wait until harvest, and at harvest time, you'll be able to better distinguish one from the other. Okay, what's the spiritual application of that? Look at verse 37. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Listen to this. The field is the world. The field is not the church. See what I'm saying? 
You read the parable of the sower about the gospel being preached and how it affects different people. That's about uh, life in the church and how people are affected by it. You read the parable about when the man finds a, finds a treasure in a field. He sells all he has and buys the treasure. That's a parable about the kingdom or the church. But here it says the field in this parable is the world. Our life out there in the world. He that soweth the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Clearly speaking about God's people and those that are the children of the wicked one. And he says they're together in the world. It's different from the church, see. In the church, you don't want the world in. You don't want to let too much water in. You don't want to let any in. But you keep, you try to keep it out as much as you can. But here he's talking about our life when we're out there. He says, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. There is an invisible kingdom that is real. And the reason I, I emphasize that is because this physical material world will one day end. And that spiritual kingdom will not end. So in fact, the invisible is more real in the sense of its endurance than the visible kingdom is. And that's what he's talking about here. When you're out there in the world, you're contending, you're still continuing, contending with spiritual things. You know, we think of coming to church. Yes, we feel the Spirit. We enjoy spiritual blessings. But out there in the world, you're dealing with a different spiritual realm. You know, we need to be aware of that. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels. So here we have the wheat is the children of God. The tares are the children of the wicked one. The field where they're all growing together is the world. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. God's children are going to be mixed together out there in the world with the children of the wicked one until the Lord comes back. Oh, I wish it wasn't that way, don't you? But that's the way it's going to be. That's why we need to keep the world out of the church. I don't want to come to the church and have to be on guard like I am in the world. I want to come to church and say, I can breathe easy now. There's no one challenging what I believe because we all want to look at the book, the Word of God. But he says here the, the, uh, um, in verse 40, As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels. See, you'll read that multiple times in the New Testament. When He says in, uh, in verse um, 39 that the reapers are the angels, that's consistent with many other verses in the New Testament. In 2 Thessalonians it says that the Lord will come in, in, with, in flaming fire. It talks about Him coming with all His holy angels. 
You'll read that many places in the New Testament that when Jesus comes, the angels will be with him. Verse 40 is, Therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend in them which do iniquity. You know why heaven's going to be heaven? Because everything that offends will be removed. There won't be any more world to threaten the church. There won't be a, a worldly kingdom where we have to struggle against the world. But rather he says, these angels shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. This is heaven here. In the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So you see these two realms that we need to think about. Keep worldliness out of the church. But don't try to conquer the world out there. If you want to protest at an abortion clinic, that's fully your right. And we don't need to criticize anybody that does it. But Paul, he didn't say save this untoward generation. He said save yourself from it. It's not our mission to reform the world. <laughs> we need to keep that in mind. Our mission is to save ourselves from it and try to live in such a way that other of God's children, other wheat that's out there among all those tares. You know, some places there's more tares than others. I'm sure it's not just consistent throughout the field. <laughs> you know, and think about the way you could apply that. There's different little groups. Maybe they want to start a church. They don't know the truth. They don't know much about the Bible. But it's like some of that weed out there in the world trying to get together, at least escape some of the tares, have it a little better out there. But see, you've got it best in the kingdom of God. And let us pray the Lord will help us to keep the water out of the ship that we might continue to be safe and enjoy His blessings. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.